You have to start it over. I don't have to no, start it over. No, we're ruining this. You have to start no, it I'm over. No, I'm not starting it over. So we're just going with it then? We're just going with it. We were just talking about how we don't do anything to edit our our podcast. That's true. So why would I start now? I don't know. Because, because I asked it. you to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't do it. This is life. You can't rewind life, Sid. But you can rewind a podcast. We're not even a minute into it. Let's just... Start this puppy over. Oh my god! I really don't care. <laughs> no, we're doing it. We're not doing it. Okay, good. We're not gonna start it over. Yeah, sure. This so, is who I am. Take it or leave it. it nothing, the best part is, is that none of the embarrassing stuff that you said was even recorded. You, oh, I just laughed like an idiot for no reason. Yeah, basically. Well, you said it during the clicks that come before it starts recording. So the so. clicks are fine. Okay, sweet. Yeah. No one has to know. So you can just like. Say wild profanities during Ooh. the clicks from here on out, basically. <gasps> I can't just got to make sure to cut yourself off before the clicks are done. Like, right when it starts. Yeah. You can only guess what I said. Yeah. Like if you wanted to say like cluck before the podcast started. <laughs> it's one of my favorite words. Cluck. <laughs> That's a weird word. What's up, folks? How are we doing today? We're doing pretty good. Are I'm we? doing pretty good. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. This was a good one. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Where are we at? I've been looking forward to this one. Yeah. Um, I know you have because I know how much you like this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, hello and welcome to episode 47 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where other people watch movies and then talk about them, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this here podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. That's good. Um, and to her right and my left, due to the circular nature of our table, we have Sid. Hello. How are you? Doing great. Yeah? Just after knowing that no one knows what I said right when we started man the, recording. the audience is gonna they're gonna be writing in sending an email to contact at we watch podcast.com wanting to know what you said Smooth. we're gonna get um so many listeners because everyone's just gonna start writing and they're like i think she said this i think she said this we're gonna start a poll uh write send in, us your guesses send in your guesses um and on my deathbed i will let you know what it was and the winner gets five hundred dollars but not from us. Yeah, no. From just if you can find it. Just it, We're just like sending good luck into the world that yeah. you will find $500. Yeah, if you can figure out what... Good vibes. If you can figure out what Sid said before the podcast started recording that she found embarrassing enough to laugh at, <laughs> then we will send good vibes your way specifically that you will gain $500. That's all of our vibes into one general location. Now, to be clear, this is not $500 extra. Like, if you have a job, it was probably going to happen anyway. Yeah. It's just part just of your paycheck. Yeah, but we'll make some, we'll, we'll send some vibes your way for sure. That means you will get your next paycheck. 
Yeah. You're not going to get fired if we send good vibes, probably. Hopefully. If you're doing a good job. Well, I guess sometimes people get Don't fired even if they're doing a bad job or doing a good job. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen, guys? The universe is chaotic. There is no rhyme or reason to anything. Um, we're just, you know, floating on a ball and in infinite nothing. And our molecules happen to align in such a way that allowed us to, you know, gain consciousness. And that's just the, the life we live. So we might as well watch scary movies. Might as well. Because it's just as valid a thing to do as anything else. And you all must think so, too, if you're listening. Yeah, so. for sure. Thanks for that. Um. All right. So, how's this going to work, Becca? Um. Am I explaining the podcast now? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Am I taking over as host? No, you can just tell them, tell them what the podcast is going to look like from here on out. Well... Did you already say the episode number? Yeah, it's episode 47 of We oh. Watch Movies and Then Talk About oh, Them. I got lost. I don't know where, where we're at. we watch movies and then talk about We're just going right. to go on there an endless cycle. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the one where we do it. <laughs> but you guys can't properly introduce each other because you're not at the proper hands. Um, Due to the circular nature of this table... We are all either at the right or the left of someone else. But what are you going to do? If you introduce the podcast, are you going to say that Sid is at your right hand in life and in all things? Yes. Yeah. Because I am. That's pretty harsh. And I'm going to say that me. you are at my left hand in life and in all Dude, things. Due to the circular nature of the table. Everyone understands the circular nature of the table at this point. <laughs> we just want to be clear. We just really want to that this table is a circle. Into their heads. Oh my gosh. Becca, take it away. Oh yes. We're talking about The Shining tonight. Yeah. We're going to do some hot takes. Hot takes. <laughs> then we're going to go into a more in-depth discussion of the movie. Yeah. After which, Sid will give us all the best trivia. <laughs> a waka waka trivia, Sid. <laughs> and then we will rate it on the Weston scale. What is the Weston scale? It is the definitive scale <laughs> that we use to rate movies. Only movies, nothing else. Oh, what is the scale? A 1 to 10 scale. Oh, okay, great. So it's the only definitive way to rank movies on a scale of 1 to 10, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, okay, just in good. different words. Great. Because there are other words, you know. Sure. <laughs> I just don't know them. Oh, right. Gotcha. What happens then? Oh, and then we talk about other topics. Yeah. And then um, we really try to convince you to send us an email or... Talk to us on social media. Yeah, we're Just lonely. Plug that all the time. Yeah, we're lonely. Contact at wewatchpodcast.com. We talk for a good five minutes about how you should uh, share this podcast with your mom. Yep, and your mom's mom. Uh-huh. And then we close it out. Wow, you know what's going on. I Guys, do know what's going on. Um, really quick before we get into everything. Um, in exactly one week, we go see The Lighthouse. Yes. I cannot wait. <gasps> I'm so excited. <laughs> number one anticipated movie for the rest of the year coming up next friday robert pattinson willem dafoe and a bunch of seabirds all right bad luck to spar with a goal it's the souls of sailors in them <laughs> i cannot wait guys i seriously am so excited all right here we go um yeah so becca you explained the format of the show so well so let's well, thank um you. let's do some hot takes don't burn yourself on these hot takes Becca, how hot is your hot take? Uh, pretty hot. I expected as much. 
Yes. I love this movie. I made sure that it was on 31 Days of October this year. Again? Yes. <laughs> well, this is only the second time I've seen it. Last year was the first time. Was it? Yeah. Oh, jeez. I hadn't seen it before. But I was very, very impressed with it last year, so I've been wanting to watch it again ever since. I've gotten very into horror in the past two and a half years since we've been married. (laughs) Anyway, I I love this movie so much for so many reasons that I'm excited to talk about. Um, But the biggest thing that I noticed this time that was my most, like just the best part for me was the music. I think the music is absolutely the best part of this movie to me. I think it really adds a lot to it and makes it scary and intense and made me jump a few times. And it's just a great movie. I love it. Uh-huh. Spicy hot take. Yeah. Sid, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty darn hot. <sighs> uh, this movie's good. Is that, is, that, <laughs> is that the entirety of your hot take? Um, I mean, uh, basically, but I will expand upon that. Thank you. We wouldn't have much of a show if you didn't. <laughs> Hi, welcome to We Watch Movies and Talk About Them. Uh, this movie's good. All right, thank you. Send us an email. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the podcast. It's a great show. Um, no, I love this movie. This is the second time I've seen it. Um, and it just, just everything works. There's nothing about this movie that doesn't work for me. And it's just... It's a fun movie to watch. It's a scary movie to watch. Um, the performances are great. Um, probably my favorite thing in the movie, the music is great, but I think my favorite thing in the movie is the camera work. Just this time, I like really honed in on it and really focused on the camera work, and it is so good. And this movie is just incredible. And I stand by what I said. It's good. Don't you dare go stealing my favorite things about this movie. I'll just leave. No, that's all right. Um, My hot take is also fairly spicy. Um, Yeah, I think uh, this is like the fourth or fifth time I've seen this. I don't know. I've seen it a bunch. And it's quite good. Um, Kubrick is a genius. And it's kind of crazy to, I guess, think about all of the films that he made. And like... How he really did just kind of like pick a genre, perfect it, and then move on. Like on his first try. Like, I mean, he revolutionized sci-fi single-handedly with 2001. He makes something like Dr. Strangelove, which is still to this day like one of the best political comedies ever made. He makes this, um, makes Barry Lyndon, makes Eyes Wide Shut, makes Full Metal Jacket, like makes Clockwork Orange, just like all of these movies, every single one of these movies is an utter classic. And it's just crazy to think about what he was able to put out and so consistently, and I don't know. That's not really specific to The Shining, but I was just thinking about Kubrick and how amazing he is and how much I love him. Um, And I I think Becca has a secret little soft spot for Kubrick as well. Maybe so. Ew, you have a crush on him? <laughs> Ew. He's dead. Okay, I have, have a, a crush, crush on dead on people. Heath Ledger. He's dead. We can have a crush on anyone we want. 
You you should focus your crushes on living people. Well, I though. normally do, but it's hard not to watch Ten Things I Hate About You and just get a little flutter in your stomach. Oh my gosh. If you watch Ten Things I Hate About You and don't walk out of that movie with a burning love for Julia Stiles, then I don't know if I want to be your friend. She is so classy in that movie and spunky and just a joy on that screen. Ten Things I Hate About You, a hard, underrated film. Heath Ledger is also a joy in that. When he does that scene... Where he's walking down from the bleachers. And he's singing Julia Stiles out on the football field. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. If that doesn't just make your heart sore. I'm just waiting for you to do that for me. Never going to happen. In the same class of movies, <laughs> never been kissed. That one's a good one. Not talked about enough. <laughs> Holy cow, folks. What is that? Are those 80s or 90s? That's got to be 90s. 90s, right? Yeah. 90s rom-coms that you forgot about. Yeah, we should just do like an entire month of rom-coms. <laughs> do like 10 Things I Hate About You and You've Got Mail and mm-hmm. Sleepless in Seattle and Crazy Stupid Love. I love that you love, know all of these, and, but you won't watch them with me. No, I won't because Becca, here's the thing. This world is spinning and it just keeps spinning and it doesn't care whether you're on it or not, right? But there is only so much time in the day and so many days in the month and so on and so forth. And I can't waste my time watching You've Got Mail <laughs> when I could be watching The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. February is a short month and it's the month of love. Let's do it then. Um, it's also Black History Month, so... It's fair. I just don't know... <laughs> like, I don't want to try and overshadow, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh my gosh. So... I don't know. Well, I it's also will o- get some It's also rom-coms. Oscar month. So. That's true. Yeah. So We're just going to do all three. We're going to talk about our favorite, 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 <laughs> Oscar nominated rom-com um, green book. <laughs> We're going to do four episodes on Green Book for February. Four episodes of me just screaming. <laughs> We're going to watch Green Book every week for the month of February and do an episode <laughs> on it. We're going to be like, episode 60, 61, 62, and 63, Green Book. <laughs> Greatest performance ever given in a movie, Mahershala Ali in Green Book. I mean, he is pretty good. Greatest supporting performance ever given in a movie, Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. Those were actually switched. Oh, whatever. I never saw it. (laughs) Anyway, Green Book sucks. It doesn't suck. It's just not that good. Second greatest performance ever given in a movie. um, Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody. (laughs) Gotta go. (laughs) Sid just quit the podcast. Okay, let's talk about The Shining then. Maybe that'll bring her back. Please. All right, folks. Uh, Shining is a joy. This movie's a lot of fun. Uh, But it's also scary. But it's also really good. Um... I do, once we get into, I have a couple of things I want to talk about that I don't want to spoil before we get into in-depth discussion. So, my hot take, fairly spicy. Um, really enjoy it. I think, as well as, uh, I'm on the same page as Sid, the thing that I noticed the most about it this time around was the camera work and the editing. And specifically how those two things played into 
why I believe The Shining to be as scary as it is. But that's what I want to start out our discussion with today is I want to get your guys' opinion on why is The Shining scary? What makes it scary? Um, I think a big part for me is the music. Sure. Like that's why it is one of my favorite parts. Yeah. I think a big part for me is the camera work. <laughs> I mean, I agree with that too. Well, no, but like what is what is scary about it? Like what I guess like there's there's a bunch of different things that you can be afraid of, right? Mm-hmm. Like what what is it tapping into for you guys? I think for me it's kind of the isolation. Okay. Where it's these three people in this gigantic hotel in the middle of nowhere, no one can get to them. And it's just like the hotel's so big, you have no idea what's going on at any point in the hotel. And um, yeah, it's just kind of like, it's like you just can't know what's going on and you can't get people there soon enough. And yeah. like with the camera work, like why it freaked me out is like every time it's tracking danny on his bike and it's just like you never know what's going to be around the next turn and that's what freaked me out the most yeah um what were you gonna say i was just gonna for me it's the like anticipation of what's coming like they build it all up really well in the first few minutes of explaining like what has happened at the hotel previously and you like basically already know like okay, like, this is a horror movie, like, he's going to go crazy and try to murder his family. Like, straight up, that's just what's going to happen. And then the rest of the movie, you spend anticipating and wondering when that's going to happen. And I think that the camera work and the music both do a really good job of that. The music is always eerie, so you're always, like, just waiting for something to happen yeah right from the start even when it's that opening scene and it's just like the flyover shots of a car driving in the canyon like Uh the music is creepy yeah it's just it's always scary and so you're just always waiting and then the camera work too i keep thinking specifically of um when danny sees something scary or when he has his shining moments and it's just like a close-up on his face and you don't know what he's seeing. And so you're just waiting to see what he's seeing so that you can be scared with him. And I think that helps with the anticipation. Like for me in most movies and most, I don't know, even when I think of like scary rides or haunted houses or anything like that, the scariest part is like the tension that builds up and the anticipation. Once something happens or you see somebody die, or you see something gory, it's not as scary because you know what it is. Sure, it's the tension. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think the camera work and the music do a good job of building up that tension and anticipation. I 100% agree. I would I would say that I fall right in the middle of what you guys said. I think that it's a combination between the isolation of the characters and just the, the knowledge that the film gives you right at the outset that, like, this is not going to go well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that what really, uh, I guess, I, I think the third aspect that I would throw in there is the production design, the actual design of the hotel. There are many, many different parts to it. There's, you know, the gold room, there's the kitchen, there's the lobby, there's the staff wing, there's, uh, you know, the other rooms, there's... And you never ever get a good understanding of where things are that's exactly what i was gonna say there are so many excellent long tracking shots for example when they first walk into the colorado lounge 
and it tracks across the entire thing and you see all the people busy cleaning it up and everything and it just goes from one end to the other of them talking. You guys remember the scene I'm talking about? Right towards the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then you have those handful of scenes of Danny on his bike, um, you know, just going around the corners and, and down the halls and everything. So you get, it's a really interesting combination that they set you up with of understanding the scope of this place, that it is big and empty but they'd never give you enough to really locate yourself in the hotel at any point. So I think to your point, Sid, what you said is that anytime that Danny goes around a corner, you don't know what you're going to see because we aren't allowed to know how the hotel is put together. Yeah. So he literally could go around the corner and, and they do that really well. Like he goes around one corner and you expect it to be a, a hollow rooms and it's the kitchen mm -hmm. and he goes around another one and there are the girls and, um, I even think, it, and they do it throughout the entire movie. I think back to, um, you know, Wendy towards the end is in the lobby and then there's a door open next to her and that leads to the kitchen. And I'm like, wait, but doesn't the kitchen also lead to this and that? And like, yeah. like you're never allowed to fully ground yourself. And so you're always lost. No matter what scene you're in, you're always lost. And anytime that a character goes around a corner, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's a combination of that isolation um, and never being able to find yourself in the hotel mixed with the distance that is created between the characters with the camera work and the editing. One scene, well, there's a few There's a few times. The way the mirror is used in their bedroom, I think is really effective for that, for showing the divide between Jack and and his family when it starts to grow there um but then the scene that i think most effectively portrays that is um after wendy finds jack's writing and you know she's got the baseball bat and they're arguing and it's doing a lot of this shot reverse shot where it's like really close in on jack's face and he's screaming at her and then it'll flip back to wendy's face and, he, and she's screaming at him and and you, you get this sense that these two characters are really far apart. And that goes on for a good few minutes until finally they hit the stairs and the camera is allowed to come back a little bit and you see just how close they are. Like, But you really you get that feeling of distance between the characters. And that's not something that's just inherent in doing that kind of filmmaking. But we are taught earlier in the film that those kind of cuts mean a distance between people because the only other time that we see that is when they're on the phone or on the radio and it does these really harsh cuts between you know the people at the hotel and then whoever's on the other side of the phone or the radio and so the movie kind of subliminally teaches us that oh when i show you these harsh cuts between two people talking it means there's a big distance between them and so you get that when they're screaming at each other, like they are, they have at that point fully separated. There's a gulf between them in a lot of ways in, you know, emotionally in their sanity, like, and then, so that shot where the camera finally backs up and you see how close they are, that's when it really hits you. Like how much danger Wendy is in because you're like, yeah, he's crazy, but he's far away. And you, you think that they, like, they could be two feet apart or they could be across the room, right? And you don't know until we finally see them on the stairs and see how close they are. And I think that that, to me, is like the perfect example of 
combining those ideas of the isolation, but also the scope of the place and the disorientation and the music is fantastic there. Like all of that coming together, I think is, are the tools that they use to scare you in those ways. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, as you were talking, one of the pieces of trivia um, kind of involves, um, shoot, what's his name? Um, it's the old caretaker. Grady? Yes. Um, him and Jack talking in the bathroom, where it's also very similar. Such a great scene. That's such a good one, where it's the harsh cuts. Um, but so some of the trivia that I'll just skip to now um, is so normally with like the 180 degree kind of take is like you have the um the two characters who are talking to each other and every time it flips to one of them they're kind of more on the right side of the screen um and then you flip to the other one and they're on the left side um and so what they did with in that scene is they kind of keep them both in the same spot on the screen Mm. so it was both with just like the editing of them just like feeling like they're really far apart but also kind of they're subliminally showing you that they're kind of becoming the same person. And then you pull back and you see that they're close. And okay. It, and that just like further kind of solidifies for me that they are becoming the same person, the same entity. That's great. Yeah. They also use those like really, I think that the cuts in this movie are uh, particularly discussion worthy because it starts out, especially at the beginning, you get almost entirely fades between scenes. And then as the movie goes on, we start getting more harsh cuts. And then by the time we get to the end, it's all just these super harsh uh, cuts between shots. Um, and I think that that is to kind of... it. The movie does a fantastic job, like you said, Becca, of building the tension, of easing you in to that feeling of uneasiness and disorientation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the editing plays a huge part in that. I also think that with um, like the scenes where Danny is seeing things, just the harsh cuts again between his face, the empty hallway, the hallway with the murdered girls, his face, empty hallway, his face, murdered girls. Like Again, you get a very clear picture of what's going on, but it's very disorienting. And I think it's so smart to like, show everything right in the beginning like show the girls show like the blood coming out of the elevator in the hotel because he sees it in his vision when he's brushing his teeth right yeah Yeah. and so like we get all of that right in the beginning we get the story of grady right in the very beginning so like really we have every scary aspect of the movie so i think that adds to the uneasiness of like okay i've seen all of this but like what's going to happen? How is this all going to play out? Yeah. Well, and then there's, it breaks, it breaks the rule, right? Like what's the rule of setting a plan in a movie? If you say the plan, it's not going to work. Exactly. Like if, if any characters in a movie are making a plan, if they tell you the audience, what the plan is, it's not going to work. And if they don't tell you what the plan is, then it works. Mm -hmm. And so it breaks that formula where it tells you the plan, essentially, and then it works, if you want to put it that way. Well, yeah, like Wendy tells, like, step by step what she's going to do to get Danny out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, it does it does that several times. It does it with the entire plot of the movie because the movie starts out with mm-hmm. we had a caretaker who went crazy and murdered his family with an axe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then they show you the blood coming out of the elevators and the little girls and like it's very easy to put together in the first 10 minutes like oh, those little girls that Danny saw are the little girls of Grady. That actually took me a long time to figure out when I first saw it. Oh, really? Like for, like for some reason I didn't connect that they were the like the same two girls. Huh. I don't remember when it dawned on me, but I felt pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Still do. Yeah. <laughs> Always and forever. All right. Well, I don't think you should. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, like you, like you said, they do it several times where somebody says out loud their plan and then it works. Like, yeah. even that throws you off because it's these little learned rules of movie watching that we've all kind of internalized but maybe don't realize yeah so yeah and you're right like it makes you so uneasy it builds attention like anything could happen because it's all laid out so all the rules are broken (laughs) yeah well, and again, just I wanted to touch on this one more time, just a, a little more specifically, I guess, because I think that when it really comes down to it, it's the disorientation that the movie kind of nurses over the course of its runtime that really sells the scare. And I, I think specifically the production design is such a huge part in that. There is so many strong, wild patterns all over the place. You have the Colorado Lounge that has the Native American patterns. You have the famous orange carpet with the kind of hexagons on it. You've got the carpet in room 237 where it's like that bright green, purple, whatever. And then you go into the bathroom and it's the like sick 60s green. And then you go into the lobby and it's a totally different color scheme. And then you have the gold room. Like these are all very, very strong distinct color schemes um that it 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 makes each section of the hotel feel like its own place and it's you almost don't even think of them as connected necessarily because we don't even ever see apart from going into the kitchen i don't think that we ever see somebody move directly from one of those individually designed sections to another we just, they'll just be there. Yeah, we, I think you're right. We yeah. never see them walk from the lounge where Jack works on his book to the staff quarters. Yeah, which I was thinking about that in the end um, when Wendy leaves her room and she's trying to go find Danny, she's running upstairs. But when they were in the bedroom, they were like three floors up when Danny was like getting out of the window and sliding down. Yeah. So, like, that's really, like, what, did she go downstairs? Like, where is she? Like, yeah. well, is and even playing tricks on her? Yeah, like, even, like, the aspect of, like, you open the door to their apartment and you go up a small set of stairs. Like, even that just throws you off a little bit because it's weird. Uh-huh. And also just kind of, like, the setup of the room as well. Like, the first time I saw it when um, she's taking breakfast to Jack and you can see his reflection in the bed. Like I thought that was just him in the bed. I didn't know it was a reflection. Sure. So like combined with 
all the crazy patterns and just like the camera work and how they keep everything separate everything is just like like as we have said it's very disorienting and it's dizzying um like I found myself like like I sound like my mom but I like started to feel sick in some points like in the when um Wendy and Danny are in the hedge maze hedge maze in the beginning like there's not too much going on in that one but you're still really confused so I think it's kind of like the hotel kind of becomes a maze. Yeah. Well, and, and again, Wendy even says that. Yeah. She says this whole place is like a maze. And even as I'm thinking about it, even on a smaller scale, like the staff quarters themselves don't make any sense. You have that big spiraling staircase that she's running up and down at the end. That doesn't make any sense because when we're first introduced to it, it's a longer hallway with a staircase kind of in the middle. And even like the kitchen like we understand that the kitchen is a big room and there's the dry storage and the walk-in freezer, but we don't understand where in relation to anything else yeah. those are. Yeah. And then there's the huge hallway where Danny's hiding. That's like part of the kitchen, but like, but yeah, but it's but, a hallway. Yeah. So it's like, exactly. Yeah. It's just like nothing in the design makes sense. Yeah. And like, even like, you when they're escaping out the window like their window is like a third of the size of any other window on that wall and the spacing of it doesn't make any sense in relation to the other rooms Mm -hmm. like the whole thing is just completely off it's like 15 people designed 15 different rooms and just squished them all together yeah exactly (laughs) and i don't know that might be in in trivia like i've read all of that was intentional i mean obviously it was intentional but Uh, yeah um i mean they did say that they pretty much had like the whole set built from the beginning um, just because they wanted to film it, I think in chronological order. Okay. Um, But they didn't really go too much into the actual set design. Yeah. Kubrick wasn't known for just letting things happen. Taking it easy. Right. He he was not. (laughs) Jeez. Can you imagine if it, does anybody know how he died? I don't. Let me look it up. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, but just kind of along the same lines, for the new Doctor Sleep movie, they found like the blueprints for the hotel, and they pretty much rebuilt it for oh, the Doctor Sleep. I wonder how much of that movie takes place at Overlook. I hope it's not disappointing. I can't see how it could not be disappointing, honestly. Yeah. I could see how it could be like good it's not gonna be as good yeah i do really like um what's the director's name he's the guy who did haunting of hill house oh mike flanagan yeah i do feel a lot better with him yeah behind the that makes me feel okay still, about it and like compared you and mcgregor is picky these days he's not doing just anything so i don't know we'll go we'll go see it but really if you're going up against um stanley kubrick yeah, what are you going to do? Um, all it says for Stanley Kubrick is natural causes. How old was he? 70. Seems young for natural causes. I'm sure he had a stressful life filming scenes over and over and over yeah, and, right? and over and over and over. Freaking, we get Clint Eastwood making movies until he's 150 and we lose Kubrick at 70. That's just not fair. Not that I wish any ill on Clint Eastwood. Or on anybody else. Good for him for living that long. I'm just saying, like, instead of the mule, we could have had, like, 
Hold on. What? This may support my theory. Another bit of trivia. Ooh, here we go. Making connections. Where'd it go? Uh, Sorry, talk amongst yourself. Okay. Hi. Yeah. What I was saying is basically we we uh, I, c- I could have done without the mule, right? Oh yeah, that was super disappointing. That was a really bad movie. I knew it was going to be bad though, so I guess I wasn't disappointed, but, but you were. Imagine like if Kubrick was making Eyes Wide Shut at 70, that dude would have just been making like Imagine if he had like modern effects. What could he do? How yeah. trippy of a film could he make? Yeah. I mean, he did kind of run out of genres, but what do we got? Um, so Scatman Crawth- Crawthers. Scatman. Scatman. Um, so he he did this movie, and then he did um one of the next movies that he did was directed by Clint Eastwood, who's famous for generally only doing one take. Crawthers broke down in tears of gratitude after the first scene when he realized he wouldn't have to do it over and over. <laughs> That's it. It's just because Clint Eastwood only does the one shot, so he's just he's never going to die. Well, guys, uh, the president of our wonderful nation has a working theory that um, when you are born, you have an internal battery, and once that battery is uh, runs out of juice, you die. So basically... It's worthless to expend any additional energy than you need to because basically if you expend too much energy young, then you'll die young. So that must that that probably absolutely proves that theory, right? Yeah, I guess that also proves why Trump is still alive. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, he's he's not doing shit for this country. Oh anyway, God. this is not a, <laughs> this is not a political podcast. Oh, but we could turn it into one real quick. I'm not I'm not ready for that. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's uh, we've just solved. Uh, anyway, don't try, the guys. Then you'll just live forever. Yeah, just be Clint Eastwood and only try anything once. <laughs> because you have millions of dollars to support you through that your first try was good enough i'm gonna write a book called that's what I'm, I'm gonna write a book that's gonna be called your first try was good enough subtitle don't bother with a second try <laughs> tertiary title uh lessons from the life of clean eastwood <laughs> i might read it once you know i don't think that i've ever seen you just need to read it once any, not twice oh yeah why would you read it twice you already read it once that was good enough um, I don't think that I've ever seen a like classic Clint Eastwood movie. I haven't either. I don't know that I've seen any of his before Million Dollar Baby. Yeah, I don't think so. Hmm. But I don't really like westerns, so hate me for that, if you will, world. Bring it on. Um, let's see. How about Jack Nicholson? Man. Those eyebrows. So good. Dude's a friggin' wacko in this. That creepy smile and that tongue. I think... So creepy. My favorite thing that he does, and I noticed it more this time than other times, is the the weird ways that he manipulates his voice. Like, when... And he, he only does it once, but, like, when they're arguing and he mocks her. Oh, yeah. What? Or whatever she says. Mm-hmm. And then like a little bit later on, he's like, Wendy. Like, he just does all this wacko crap with his voice all the time. And like his facial expressions. I think my favorite shot of Jack Nicholson in this movie 
is when he's in the dry storage and i'm sure they just had to stick the camera on I the would, ground oh, yeah. i was thinking about that during that shot. oh my gosh i was thinking about how they how they possibly filmed that and yeah. like all i can think is that he probably just had to be i'm talking like a hundred degrees on his legs spread wide and yeah. leaning up against the the thing and somebody's in between his legs looking up like that's or, the only way that it could possibly have been done maybe they like raised him up could be but then they'd have to like build a door to scale. Yeah, I know that's a great shot. It's such a great oh, shot, and like the way it's probably my favorite moment of his acting as well because he's pounding on it and he's angry, and you see his face go through like several different phases as he like warps into feel sad for me mode. He like. He like I don't even know how to describe it. He just like messes up his face in a bunch of different ways, and you can like see the gears in his brain turning and realigning to be like mm-hmm. he's screaming at it. He's like, "Wendy, I think you hurt me real bad." And you can see and the he's way smiling while he's saying, it. "Yeah," but yeah. like even like his smile is totally fake, and you can see that he thinks he's so clever. But like mm-hmm. the transition between the two is is probably my favorite moment of his acting in the entire movie. I think another good transition with his facial expressions and emotions is when he is like asleep at his table and like starts screaming because he had a bad dream. Oh, yeah. And then like Wendy comes and wakes him up and he's like all like scared and sad and upset. And then Danny comes down with like the mark on his neck. Oh, yeah. And you can see his face change to just like this intense anger when Wendy says like, did you do this to him? Yeah. And like, and then it just kind of stays angry for the rest of the movie. But like his anger mm-hmm. is so good. Yeah. Or even like not necessarily the anger, but I think back as well to the bar scene, the second, or I think it's the second one or the third one. I don't remember when the bartender's like, your money's no good here. He's like, I like to know who's buying my drinks. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, that's not something that concerns you for now. And you can see Jack, stare at him and he's like well anything you say like that oh just Mm -hmm. the 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 extreme emotions that he transitions between are so ah so freaking good because you can tell that he's just like so tired and mentally drained and like going between these phases of being like manic and a depressive state and like you can just see it so quickly yeah and not to just like mention a million scenes, but I love his face as well towards the beginning when Wendy and Danny are playing outside mm-hmm. and he's just standing like looking out the window mm-hmm. and you can't really tell if he's looking at them, but you assume that he is. It's called the Kubrick stare. It's so just, good. just creepy in general, just that he's just staring out the window like that. And just the way that he stares like, I got the impression that he didn't really like he wasn't totally in control of what he was doing, that he was staring and having these weird thoughts. But like it wasn't necessarily him. Yeah. So creepy. Yeah. It's been turned into a meme at this point, but it is a real oh, thing. Yeah, he yeah. uses it in a lot of his movies. Yeah. Um, the one we're looking at right here has got uh Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut, Jack Nicholson in this, the guy from 2001, uh, the guy in Full Metal Jacket, and then the guy in Clockwork Orange. He uses it in all of those. So, 
great. They're just creepy and unsettling. Well, that was kind of Kubrick's main vibe in a lot of his films, yeah. right? Even like the one from 2001, like it's not necessarily supposed to be creepy, but it's still off-putting. Yeah. Gosh, what a freaking amazing movie. <coughs> Eventually, we've planned to do 2001 like 14 times. I have to watch that for film in two weeks. Ooh. And I kind of don't think I'm ready to watch it again. But I feel like I should. Maybe you should. That would give me an excuse to buy the 4K Blu-ray, which I've really been wanting to buy. Okay. <laughs> That'd be fun. Talk to your wife first. Spending so much money on movies. <laughs> oh, no. So many things yeah. have changed. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That's the exact same. <laughs> so we we said I couldn't buy any more Criterion. Yeah, we should set a rule on all movies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what else? What else? What else? I just love the like psychological aspect of this movie, like just psychological thrillers in general. I love, but just like the way that we watch Jack deteriorate mentally and like everything that Danny's experiencing and like how Danny kind of pushes himself down and t- like, by the end of it is really just Tony. Like, that whole yeah. thing is really interesting. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Like, Kubrick had... Uh, he had to have just been a monster, right? Like, incredible filmmaker. Probably a pretty crappy human being. Because how do you get a child to do that? He was oh actually gosh. super nice to to the kid. Was he? Uh-huh. He was horrible to Shelley Duvall. Oh, yeah. But... Um, <laughs> Any stories about that. But, like, they pretty much filmed the movie from the kid's point of view like it was a drama so like any of like how do you direct him in that scene with him screaming red rum all over the place and be oh like my god yep just know. a drama kid this is not a horror movie i have <laughs> no idea but apparently and then when his voice changes and he red rum yeah. red rum red rum oh my gosh it's so freaking creepy yeah. i don't know how but like like in one of the scenes when um uh, Wendy's yelling at Jack, like, did you do this? Uh-huh. She's holding, like, a dummy. It's not the actual kid. Really? Uh-huh. And, like, you can you can tell, but it's, like, not super noticeable. Huh. I just could tell because I already knew. Huh. huh. That's interesting. That's good for the, like, psychological trauma of that child. Yeah, so what, did he just watch it back and was, like, totally confused? <laughs> I think so. There was something about that. Also, favorite dude, p- favorite person in the film is the dude on the plane wearing a stethoscope. <laughs> I could not believe that. If you, audience, if you watch the scene where Scatman is flying uh, back to Denver and it shows him on the plane and he asks the, the flight attendant when they're going to be in Denver, the guy in the row behind him is wearing a stethoscope <laughs> like in his ears. It's incredible. Um, if I'm wrong and those were just like some old tiny earplugs or something like that, please let me know. But it looks like a stethoscope. <laughs> um, yeah. So what, do you have anything about his treatment of Shelley Duvall? Yeah. I mean, I have like quite, a f- do you just want me to jump into trivia or, um, I, I don't know if that's, before we yeah, if, yeah. if that's a big part of trivia, then we'll wait. Yeah. It's pretty big. Okay. Um, so Danny has the shining. Yes. Does anyone else besides um Dick have the shining? 
Um, Scatman. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I just love his name. <laughs> um, in the book, um, I'm just going to call him Scatman. He believes that everyone has the shining, but just to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. I think for the purpose of the movie, it's just them two. You okay. don't think that Jack has it? I could well, because what I guess what to your under, to your guys' understanding is the shining. I think that will determine our answer to that question. I don't. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out because, like, Danny has this like connection to Scatman because of the shining, but Jack and Wendy don't. But they both see ghosts. I guess. Yeah. I could see like Jack having it to a certain degree because he sees ghosts more. I often. think that Jack has it too. But for Jack, it's a lot. It's more more dangerous. Yeah, it's like more sinister, and it's not like Danny's is. He can like see things that have happened to people. He can kind of see the future, and maybe Jack's is like he can just connect to like the next life. You well, know? and what is what is the connection between The Shining and Tony? Then, do you think? Because here's how I understand it: is from the very brief explanation that we're given by Scatman and who knows how accurate that even is, mm-hmm. right? Like we're taking his word for it, but he could very easily be an unreliable narrator is that the way I understand it is that the shining is basically just kind of a connection to the ethereal plane, if you will. Right. The ethereal plane being like the afterlife or uh, the pre life, whatever you want to call it. Right. Is just some sort of connection to, an existence beyond uh, the reality that we know. And so the reason that I think that Jack has The Shining is because the difference is that Scatman gets taught by his grandma how to use it, right? Mm -hmm. And how to kind of rein it in. Uh, Danny is already kind of being overwhelmed by it a little bit, but gets coached a little bit by Scatman. But then you think about it, and Jack likely had nobody to talk to about it and no outlet for it or anything like that. And so I think that that makes him more susceptible to the more sinister elements of The Shining. Um, It also could be that The Shining connects you with people in similar situations to you. I don't know if there's some sort of filter on it, basically, that says, like... You know, Danny is a scared kid at the Overlook Hotel, and so he sees the two girls. And, you know, Jack is the caretaker, so he sees the old staff. And, you know, Scatman is able to hang out with his grandma because I don't I don't know if that if there requires some sort of connection there. I think that the shining is purposefully not super defined. So I I don't know after saying all of these things out loud and thinking through that out loud, I might lean my theory towards what you said, Sid, that everybody has it, but to varying degrees. And it just depends on how much they suppress or enable it. That's fair. I can get behind that. I could that. see like Tony being like another entity or even just kind of like a part of Danny's brain that like kind of protects him when things are too much for Danny to handle. I could see that for sure. So like when things Mm -hmm. are too scary in the hotel, Danny shuts down, Tony takes over and like tells like he can kind of communicate the things that both of them have seen 
like red rum, someone's going to die, you know? Okay. I could see that. That's what I think too, that Tony is separate from the shining. It just helps Danny deal with it. And like, I don't know, like that's a very real thing that like people do when they have experienced traumatic events is like hide behind another personality. Yeah. So I, I think it's, I don't I think it's interesting that they add Tony in there along with the shining and use that as a coping method for Danny. I so, can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I kind of like that though. The the shining itself is not very well defined. Just that some people shine and some places shine. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when bad entities are using yeah. it. Well, it's kind of like calling back to Hill House, right? Like Uh-huh. I mean, this obviously came before that. So, like, but our discussion of it will call back to our discussion of Hill House. I'm not saying that The Shining calls back to Hill House. I'm yeah. Saying. But basically, like, the idea there is that the house is just haunted. And whether the spirits are good and bad is determined by the spirits themselves. But, like, the fact that it is haunted is not in and of itself evil. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I just Googled, like, is Tony part of The Shining? So, Tony was his imaginary friend. Um, I think that was just kind of like a coping mechanism as a kid with no friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and because to- or Danny has the shining, um, which allows him to detect spirits um, and makes him a target at the Overlook Hotel, Tony is kind of his guide and protector. Okay. Of. That makes sense. So apparently to Wiki, he is not part of the shining. Oh, all right. Well. Well, because um, Scatman even asks, like, does Tony tell you things to do? Like, tell, does Tony tell you what to do? And no, the doctor asks that. No, I think Scatman asks it when they're talking in the kitchen and he's eating ice cream. So the doctor, says, the doctor asks him, does he tell you what to do? And Scatman just says, does he tell you things? Oh, okay. That's I think it's right. an. I think it's an important distinction. Okay. But we never really get an answer to. He says, well, because then Danny tells him that he shows him things sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But then you're scared of room 237. There's nothing to be scared of in 237, but you stay out. Don't you dare go to 237. Don't it's, you. It's totally fine. Just don't go. Th- don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to make you not scared of it. Right. That scene is so freaking great when, you know, he opens the door and. Mm. Or does, does he even open the door, Danny? No, it's open. Well, like they just like show that the door is open and okay. then it cuts. And you see him riding away on his big wheel, but he like keeps glancing back at the oh, door. Oh, the first time he yeah. sees it? Yeah, 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 it's closed. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's such a great scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is, I need to watch it again. There's a pretty good documentary. Um, you can find it on YouTube. It's called Room 237. Mm-hmm. That just breaks down a lot of the symbolism and um does a lot of what we're trying to do here but better because they did research in multiple takes and we're just recording this live they have money they have money we don't have money send us money an education in film yeah there you go um anything else before we get into trivia no i don't think so all right um so now we're gonna get the best of imdb movie trivia sid read every single piece of imdb movie trivia for this film there was a lot picked out the best ones she reads it so you don't have to mm-hmm. what do we got um okay so for the idea for danny to move his finger was actually um 
spontaneous from the actor. Really? First audition. Yeah. He just, wow. Huh. Like when he was talking as Tony, he moved his finger. Huh. Because that's like a really creepy part. Of yeah. That is a really it, creepy part like, of it. Yeah. And it's like so creepy because this kid, like his normal talking voice is fine. Yeah. But like he can just like change it. And it like, it doesn't really like change his face or like his mannerisms, but it just sounds completely different. Yeah. So I wonder if they did like a little manipulation, maybe like when he like gets more intense when maybe. he's yelling red rum. One thing I did notice is that, um, gosh, I forget which scene it is. There is a scene where Jack is yelling, I believe at Wendy, but we see Danny on the screen. I think it's part of their altercation in the Colorado lounge. Mm-hmm. But we see, we hear him yelling, but it's on, but Danny is on the screen Mm -hmm. and they've almost like double tracked Jack's voice and distorted it a little bit. There's definitely some like digital manipulation on that, which I thought was really cool that, but it only happens when they are not on screen. When it cuts Mm -hmm. back to them, it goes away. Yeah. Cause it's like Danny, like hearing it through the screen. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, so the scene where Jack breaks down the bathroom door, the props department um, made doors that could easily be broken. Mm-hmm. But Jack Nicholson worked as a volunteer fire marshal and f- tore them down way too easily. So they had to build stronger doors. <laughs> <laughs> and it said that that scene took about three days to film and 60 doors. Wow. Jeez, can yeah. you imagine Kubrick? Get another door up. <laughs> It'd just be like Monsters, Inc. <laughs> Just bring in another one. Build a door factory. Yeah. Um, to get Jack Nicholson in the right agitated mood, he was only fed uh, cheese sandwiches for two weeks because he hates them. Ew. <laughs> that sounds like a dream to me. That Just be like, so sad. Eat, eat a grilled cheese. Like, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm in such a good mood. Thank you, Mr. Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So Shelley Duvall suffered from nervous exhaustion through filming, including physical illness and hair loss. Jeez. Um at one point, she was so cried out that she just, like, constantly had to keep water with her because she, just, like, couldn't cry anymore. Jeez. Um, wow. For the shot of the blood pouring out of the elevator, it only took three takes, which Ooh. is pretty impressive yeah. for Stanley Kubrick, but it took nine days to set it up. Each um, time? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Uh, and it took uh, approximately a year to get right. What an absolutely incredible shot, though. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, um, what's happening here? Okay, so pretty much no one on set was to give sympathy to Shelley Duvall at all. Um, this is a tactic to make her feel utterly hopeless. And he said to, um, to Shelley... Um, it doesn't help you. If they sympathize with you, it won't help you or the performance. And you get that uh, in her performance. Yeah. She is messed up. Yeah. That uh, poor woman. Um, I'm so glad I'm not an actress. Well, that's that's not what you sign up for when you sign up to be an actress. Oh, no. You don't sign up no. to be emotionally and mentally abused. No. no. And like Kubrick, he said that like, yeah, he was really tough on her during filming, but he was actually like really impressed with her performance. Well, I should so. freaking hope so. Yeah. Um, there was no air conditioning on set, so it would be super hot. So while they were filming in the hedge maze, he- why can't I say hedge maze? I don't know. Hedge mage. In the maze. <laughs> um, 
as soon as they were done filming, they would just like strip off all their heavy clothing because they were so hot. Jeez. Um. So for the scene of all the picture or all the pages of all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, um, Stanley Kubrick's secretary spent weeks typing those up. Oh my gosh! Like every single paper in that stack has that on there. Jeez. That would drive anybody crazy. I wonder if like she started doing the patterns and stuff like they had, like just because she started freaking losing it or yeah. if Kubrick told her to do that. I could see her. I could see him like being like, you know. Spice it up. Spice it up. But she probably would just be like, I'm going to murder myself if I don't. <laughs> and, then she's, and then he gets it and he's like, what? All work and no play makes Jane a dull boy. This is wrong. <laughs> and she has to type it all over again. <laughs> Um, so the the psychological trauma (laughs) the mmpa um did not allow blood to be shown in any trailers but they got around this by saying that the blood was rusty water i read about that the other day which is like why why would you look at that and be like oh yeah okay rusty water sure because the mpa is a giant joke and a scam and a stranglehold on the industry that shouldn't exist true except for that it also is good that it exists because if we didn't have the MPAA, then the government would be the ones rating films. <clears throat> and I do not want that. Um, the color red is visible in pretty much every shot of the movie. Hmm. Um, this is presumably because Colorado was so named because it's Spanish word for red. Which I don't know Spanish. Is it? No, the word is rojo. Okay, well. Colorado, though. Like, like yeah. color. Colored, yeah. I don't know. Don't ask me. I'm All right. I'm white. All right. Um, despite the critical success, it was nominated for two um, Golden Razzie Awards. Worst Actress for Shelley Duvall and Worst Director. Yeah, what? dude. I was actually reading through this uh, a few days ago. Kubrick did not have success at the Oscars. Yeah. Like, across his entire career. Yeah. Jeez. Like, let's see. He was nominated a handful of times, but like not as many as you would think. He won a single Oscar uh, for uh, sp- visual effects on 2001, mm-hmm. but he was nominated for writing in Full Metal Jacket, uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay for Barry Lyndon, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay for Clockwork Orange. Um, and then visual effects director and writing for 2001 and then picture director screenplay for, uh, Dr. Strangelove. But the only one that he actually won was visual effects, visual effects for 2001. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I was actually looking at the year that this would have been. So, uh, the 53rd Academy Awards, um, and... Let's see. Best actor went to Robert De Niro in Raging Bull, which is a film that people actually still talk about. So that's, I guess, whatever. Um, but best actress went to Sissy Spacek in Coal Miner's Daughter, which is a film that has definitely kept up its relevance. That. Um, cinematography went to Tess, which is a movie that I have not heard of until I just read it. Um, directing went to Robert Redford in Ordinary People, which he beat out David Lynch for The Elephant Man, Martin Scorsese for Raging Bull. I hear that's a pretty good 
pretty wow. great movie though. Same here. I haven't seen it, but yeah. at least I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, editing went to Raging Bull. Um, let's see, where do we get? Best picture went to Ordinary People. Who the frick even knows what that is? I guess what I'm saying is that even as much as we enjoy the Oscars, it's our favorite time of year. We love it. It does not always reflect relevancy. Except for last year, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Green Book, 50 years from now, people still going to be talking about Green Book. For sure. Revolutionary. Stopped racism single-handedly. In its tracks. Can you believe it? We do not have police officers breaking into people's homes to murder them. In their own homes. In their own homes. That's insane. That is insane. You know, Becca, I don't know if you knew this, but we absolutely do not have police officers getting drunk, breaking into somebody's home, thinking that it's their own home, murdering them, and then only getting sent to prison for 10 years. That doesn't happen in this country. Nope. All because of Green Book. It's crazy. Wow. Can you believe it? Green Book. Can you believe it? Green Book. The same director of Step Brothers. I can believe it. Oh my gosh, this world. <laughs> Wait, the guy that directed Step Brothers directed Green sure. Book? Um, let me double check. Didn't that. Adam McKay direct Step Brothers? Wait, maybe I'm wrong. Because Step Brothers is great. Oh no, he did like Dumb and Dumber. Oh, really? Yeah, Step Brothers is Adam McKay. Yeah, Dumb and Dumber, Three Stooges, Hall Pass, Stuck on You. Oh my gosh, I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> All pass. <laughs> what a joke, man. Man, it's it's really uh there's something about Mary. Wow. Movie forty three. Which is one of the worst movies ever made. Who knew, man? Anyway, before I spiral into a depression, yeah. let's get back to the shining. Just thank Makes you, me feel a little bit better. Thank you, Green Book, for ending racism. We really appreciate wow, thank it. Thank you so much. You're the best. Amazing. Um Okay, so Originally, for the scene where Scatman dies, um, Kubrick wanted to do it around 70 takes. Um, <laughs> but Jack, Scatman just walked off the set. <laughs> but Jack Nicholson talked him into doing it like 40 times because of Scatman's age. And at one point, um, Scatman broke down crying and said, what do you want, Mr. Kubrick? Which is so sad. <laughs> that is sad. I can just imagine him with his adorable little underbite. He's so cute. I love him. I love Scatman. Um... The scene toward the ends, toward the end of the movie of Wending running up the staircase, uh, was shot thirty-five times, the equivalent of running the entire Empire State Building. Good heavens. Um, and subtle foreshadowing: the the tie that Jack's wearing in his interview in the very beginning, um, resembles the hedge maze. Hedge, did I say it right? Yeah, you did. Oh my gosh, I did it the last time, hmm. and that is much of the trivia there's much more this is one that i would really suggest like you read the trivia for because there was a lot of even good ones that i had to cut out wow well excellent thank you mm-hmm. all right well let's get on with this let's get our final thoughts and ratings out of 10 on the weston scale the weston scale being a collection of aggregate scores between the three of us becca what are your final thoughts um i don't know that i have too much more to say just that it's a fantastic movie, and I can't wait to watch it again. <laughs> and there's not much that, or really anything that I don't like about it. 
So I'm going to rate it a 9.6. Wowza. Yeah. Do you just want me to go or do you want to introduce me? Sid, go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, I really don't have too much else to say. This movie is just incredible. It it really lives up to the hype that you hear about it all the time. Um, it's it's just fantastic. Um, I'm going to give this one a 9.6 too. Oh. 9.6 as well. Oh my gosh, guys. No, she said 9.62. I expect you to put that on there. No, that rounds yeah, to 9.6. I, I made it higher than Becca because oh, right. I'm better than you Becca. You like it 0.02 no. more than me. Yeah, I do. The Weston skill only rounds to the 10th. So. Okay, fine. I promise I didn't plan this. 9.6? At the 9.6. Nice! No math today. I know. It's just a straight up 9.6. That's um, awesome. That puts it up there with... Um, oh, geez. This is crazy. Do we have a lot of 9.6s? Yeah. Blade Runner 2049, Dancer in the Dark, Black Swan, The Dark Knight, and now The Shining. Wow. It barely beats out Midsummer and There Will Be Blood, both of which have a 9.5. But I might be able to bump up Midsummer a little bit in a revisionist corner at some point. I gotta watch it again, but it, it might be higher than what I called it before. What did you call it before? A nine seven. <laughs> <laughs> what did I call it? Um you called Midsummer a nine five. What did I say? Nine two. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, that's going up for sure. Oh baby. <gasps> Can't wait. Can't wait. Um, still our highest ranked movies being a tie between the tree of life and her both with a 9.8 uh, only achieving that score because on both films, two people rated it a 10. One day we will have a film where all of us rated a 10. Yeah. I don't know why you're such a hater about her. What did I rate it? Nine five. What's wrong? Oh, I could definitely rate that a 10. That was just the first time I'd seen it. Well, we gotta watch gotta it. Watch it we gotta watch it again. I just need to... You just want me to ball like a little baby, don't you? Oh, I want to ball like a little baby, too. <laughs> Man. <what a laughs> Here's the thing, folks. Her is a gosh darn modern cinematic masterpiece yes. that you should all watch. Yeah. All right. That concludes our discussion of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Um, we're going to have a short little discussion of some other topics now. We go see The Lighthouse in one week. So the next time that you hear from us... We will have some thoughts on it. We will be different people. Oh, absolutely we will. You're going to see me sparring with goals all over the place. <laughs> you just hear squawking in the, <laughs> the background of our entire podcast. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, that I, I, it's, it's so good because all the trailers that come up on my Instagram feed are just all of, they all start out with Willem Dafoe. Saw you sparring with a goal. I'm just like, oh, and then it's just that picture of Robert Pattinson staring at a seagull out in front of the light. <laughs> I just want to see it so bad. I want it so bad. One week, just a week from now. Oh, I know. I've been trying not to think about it too much because I'm too excited. <laughs> I just can't wait. Ugh. Just a week away now. I cannot wait. Um, we've really only just been watching. Movies for 31 Days of October. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be having an episode come out uh, probably a couple of days after this one to talk about them. One I did watch that was not on the list for this month, but I was interested in watching was Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm. 
How was that? Atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> it was so unbelievably bad. <laughs> like, I, I, I really, 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 really just wanted to turn it off. Wow. But... I was like, no, oh, I paid four bucks to watch this because I had to rent it. <laughs> and like, if I don't finish it, then I can't properly say why it was so bad because yeah. like, there's always the possibility that it gets better and it doesn't. It's like, it's, it's this weird microcosm of really talented people coming together on a really good idea, mm-hmm. which is like to tell a really, you know, true to the source material story of Dracula. And you've got, you know, Francis Ford Coppola directing. You've got Anthony Hopkins. You've got, um, what's his name? Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. You got Winona Ryder. Keanu Reeves is there to hang out. You got um, Richard E. Grant is in this. Like, this thing is stacked. And it is so (laughs) bad. It's so over the top. So overdone. So campy but not in a fun way Mm -hmm. um every single person completely and totally overacts the story makes absolutely no sense he tries to do all this weird surrealist stuff that like we know he's capable of because we've seen apocalypse now but like it just doesn't land at all he tries to like make uh, like combine some like a handful of like steampunk elements of like design but like doesn't flesh any of it out um gary oldman is just not very good which is weird because again he just completely and totally overdoes it the accents across the board are laughable just like so 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 bad like give me a dracula impression sid i want to suck your blood that's exactly (laughs) what gary oldman sounds like doesn't even try like and keanu reeves british accent God bless his soul, man. But holy cow. Like, dude really could have used some coaching. This movie is just a dumpster fire from start to finish. And it's sitting at like a 7.5 on IMDb. And I read some of the reviews. And I, I just, I, I was like, did I watch the same movie as you people? Wait, now I want to watch it. Oh, it's, it's bad. Is it like not even fun bad? If you go into it expecting it to be bad, it might be yeah. fun. But okay. I was expecting it to be good. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. It might, it's probably fun to watch. Uh-huh. It's only two hours. We, but I don't know if this is how the, the original like Bram Stoker's Dracula book is. Really weirdly sexual. Yeah, like, I remember it was on TV and my mom like hurried and t- turned the channel when it was like a werewolf and a woman having sex like in a, in a graveyard yeah yep. uh, and it, like that's just like burned in my memory yeah Ugh. no like really like weird kind of underdeveloped uh theme of like sexual repression throughout it basically because it's like turn of the century england yeah like just rep- people repressing their sexuality left and right so like that's a really big uh, like connection between dracula and uh, the women he goes after is he's like unleashing their sexuality and it's really really weird in that way like tons of just kind of weird nudity mm-hmm. all over the place i don't know it was bad you're just making me want to watch this more go for it i'd love to hear your <laughs> thoughts maybe i'm totally wrong but i just did not enjoy even one aspect of it <laughs> the the production design is totally overblown like anytime that dracula is like maybe within a hundred feet of a character they just have like a smoke machine on full bore 
Like, <laughs> it's so bad. Um, but if you want to watch a good vampire movie, Becca and I last night watched Let the Right One In, which was a was gosh darn good. treat. Mm-hmm. That movie was so good. But yeah. Did you have you watched anything else, Becca? You watched The Adams Family. I did go. Well, I slept through The Adams Family. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was cute the parts that I watched of it, but it's just The Adams Family. I prefer it in a musical play version. Is the film musical? No. No. I mean, they have the like it's a stage production. Yeah. It's a thing. I don't know. Payson Community Theater did it. It was. <laughs> pretty good it was not terrible sorry i just have that uh reaction when i hear payson oh right and <laughs> hail center theater is currently doing it i think like it's a good play okay. i just eh. all right i get it yeah for our listeners not from the state of utah oh, yeah <laughs> payson is a These town are places and hail center theater is uh probably the the biggest live theater in the state yeah. yeah, and they're really good. They're really good. They're very, very good. Yeah, it's cool. It's got a circular stage that the audience sits all around, mm-hmm. and so like you look down onto the stage. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sid, what about you? What do you got? Are you, did you watch anything else? Nope, okay. that's it. What do you guys said? Um, I watched Days of Heaven. Ooh, how was that? It was good. It wasn't like as good as Tree of Life or New World, which sure. are the only other Terrence Malick ones I've seen. But it was still really good, and but just like. I hate watching, this is going to make me sound so pretentious, but I just like hate watching these kind of movies with like all these freshmen in my class. Oh, because this was your film studies class, right? Yeah. Okay. Because like at the, this, the movie ends, it's kind of like an unsatisfying ending, which like was a little annoying, but it's like kind of ambiguous, but just like as soon as it was over, everyone was just like, what? Huh? And I was just, like, so annoyed. Like, they've never had a not happy ending yeah. in their lives. Yeah, and then, like, last week when we watched Heart of a Dog, which I thought was incredible, at the end, everyone started clapping. And I was like, oh, wow, everyone liked it. They were clapping because they were happy it was over. And I was just, I'm just so annoyed with everyone in that class. You should advertise our podcast to your class. Yeah, I'm sure they'd, they'd love that. Like, oh, we're going to watch even more pretentious movies. Like, and then they <laughs> hear you talk about them. <laughs> Yeah, so I bad mouth. <laughs> I hate all of you. Um, yeah, so I watched that, and that was that was pretty good. I have to write a paper on that. I've literally had that movie on my shelf for two years at this point, really? and I've just never like been in the proper mindset to watch it. Yeah. I think it's like definitely like you can. It's not quite like Tree of Life, Terrence Malick. Like there's more of a plot to it, okay. but you can definitely see like his like just kind of like following them wandering around aimlessly how many know? shots are there of the wind blowing through the there wheat? are a lot <laughs> there are quite a few and there's a lot of people just like running around and like locusts Ooh, okay but young richard greer gear gear mm-hmm. greer gear gear anyway he's hot all right and that's i'm like halfway through like a bunch of other movies not quite finished how do you start one movie, not finish it, and then start another Sometimes movie to I'm not finish like, it? Sometimes I'm just like watching a movie, and I'm like, oh crap, I gotta go to work. And then I'm just like, eh, I'm not really in the mood to watch it. I should probably do homework. Mm, okay. Well, right on. But yeah. Well, folks, that'll probably do it for us then, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we will see you next week for our discussion <laughs> of Luca Guadagnino's 
2018 absolute masterpiece of a film. Becca's so excited right Becca's, now. Becca's favorite she is just, film. She is just silent with excitement. Becca's right absolute favorite film of the decade so far. <gasps> Becca, what hey, is I it? I didn't hate it the second time. Becca, what movie are we watching? Suspiria. We're watching Suspiria. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have been dying to do an episode on this movie literally since it came out (laughs) and uh becca didn't like it the first time so then i made her watch it for my birthday well i hated it (laughs) that's true first time that's true (laughs) like just hated it wanted to walk out the first time that was the same reaction i had to hereditary (laughs) yeah um and then after we watched suspiria i went back i think two days later yes and saw it again in theaters by myself (laughs) and then i made bicca watch it for my birthday that was my birthday demand we get to make one demand on our birthdays that the other one has to do no matter what it is and i used mine on watching suspiria Mm -hmm. and then this year for 31 days of october our oh i forgot to talk about that okay quickly this week is classics uh the the shiny is the only classic that is like a a classic in the way that most people would think about it the other classics are from like the 20s and 30s they are silent films they are not in color um but i think that they are really important for kind of the evolution of the horror genre as we know it. a lot of these are films that set the stage for what horror would be further down the line so those films are the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is known as one of the absolute first horror films, and really the first film, or the first film to gain widespread acclaim that dealt so heavily in surrealism and using production design to um, like throw people off their guard. And then we have two vampire movies. We have uh, Nosferatu and Vampire. And for more information on both of those and all the other movies that we have for this month, you can check out 31daysofoctober.com. It is a little website that I threw together. Um, The final week of 31 Days of October is House Picks. Uh, There's not a whole lot of theme to that one. It's just we each picked a movie. (laughs) So, um, Can you guess which movie Andrew picked? I picked Suspiria. (laughs) Um, Becca picked The Babadook. And then Sid is gracing us with What We Do in the Shadows. It's amazing, guys. Just just wait. She's she's given us our only comedy of the month. Oh, it's so. so good. Usually we try to do some balancing, but with only four movies each week, there was no room for comedies. And the movies we chose aren't super heavy, so. Yeah, I think we did a good job this year of balancing it out. So yeah. next week we will be discussing Suspiria. Becca hated it the first time, didn't mind it the second time. She's going to love it the third time. Mm, I would hope for maybe like a, a like. I don't think it'll be a love. Get ready to hear that soundtrack on repeat nonstop after we watch it. I do love the soundtrack. Because that happens every single time I watch it for about three weeks after. I just listen to the soundtrack nonstop. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that'll do it for us, folks. We love you. We appreciate you. Tell your mom about the podcast. Have her tell her book group. Um, And yeah, I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. We love you. And we'll see you on the next one. See ya. Bye.